Let's return to the Gospel of Mark today. We already, I feel like we already come to the Word this morning with full bellies and stomachs, but now let's come and feast on the Gospel of Mark. We'll come to chapter 6 together. Today we are going to be looking at Mark chapter 6, verses 34 through 44. The title, the theme of the message is Our Compassionate Savior. As I always do, I want to begin by reading the Word of God. And the reason I do so is because when Paul told Timothy how to preach, he told Timothy, preach by reading. In fact, he said, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So I want to begin by reading the Word of God, to set in front of you this that will be the parameters of our message going forward. I am merely a mouthpiece for the text today, as I am every time I come into the pulpit. Really, the success of this sermon lies not in my ability to apply it, but in the Word of God's ability to convict the hearts of man. And so, as I begin this day, I want to begin by reading the Word of God, as we do every time I emphasize now on our Vision Sunday. The Reformers saw the church pulpit as a throne, is what they called it. God's Word was to be the place upon which It was throned and heralded out, and to the extent to which the God's Word rules and reigns in the church is the extent in which we can see and we can expect that God will work in and through the church. And that's our goal, that's our focus, even as we come to Mark chapter 6, verses 34 through 44, in a message we're going to be calling, Our Compassionate Savior. Verse 34, and Jesus, it says... When he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And then the day was not far spent. His disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about, and into the villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread and give them to eat? And he saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they saw and said, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make sit down all by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fishes, he took looked up to heaven and blessed and brake the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set before them and the two fishes and divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the twelve baskets full of fragments and of fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. As we come to this story, we come to sacred ground. There is only one miracle that our Lord performed apart from his resurrection that is recorded for us in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus performed some 35 miracles that are recorded and scattered amongst the four Gospel accounts. But this particular one, this particular one miracle is so important that the Spirit of God worked through each of those individual writers to write and record the events that took place in this particular miracle. Now, you and I need to know what is going on in this miracle clearly because it was of such importance that it was repeated to us. And there's no mistake 
that the Holy Spirit recorded this miracle in all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, as we go through the four Gospels and all four Gospels writing about this miracle, they all have their unique emphasis upon which they are writing and thereby upon which they are writing about this miracle. Matthew and Luke are primarily interested simply in the miracle itself, that it happened. This is astonishing enough. And they tell it without any embellishment. They tell it just in a straightforward fashion. Jesus fed all these people from just these bread and these fish. John, however, as you read his gospel, is the theologian of the bunch. And John gives the theological significance of this event. Immediately after telling this in John 6, there is a discourse of how our Lord has come to be the bread of life. And so John tells this, paro- or this story and then presents Christ as the bread of life who alone saves, satisfies, and sustains our souls. That's John's purpose. But we're not in Matthew, are we? And we're not in Luke. And we're not in John. We're in Mark. Mark chooses to stress the loving compassion of Christ. It was out of his tender heart of mercy and love for the multitudes that Jesus fed them when they were hungry. And so what we see portrayed here is the selfless servant Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just going about cranking out ministry. He is not going around checking off boxes. He loves people. And what is discovered is that this is flowing all out of the heart of a merciful, loving, compassionate Lord. Yes, Jesus is doing all that he's doing out of obedience to his Father, but he is also doing it out of a great heart of love for the people that that are gathered before him. The miracle is designed to demonstrate who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And this miracle demonstrates that he is the Son of God, yes, but he's also the Son of Man. And the miracle testifies that Jesus is God in human flesh who can perform a miracle like this, but more than that, this miracle gives us the big picture of the Old Testament and testifies really in this context that Jesus is in some ways the second Moses. He is greater than Moses. He has come on the scene to perform a far greater exodus than Moses led. He is going to deliver people from their sins. Because we are struggling and starving in the lives full of hurt. Now this miracle, in no small account, harkens back almost 15 years to Moses in the wilderness when God miraculously fed the children of God with bread that came down out of heaven. And this miracle in Mark 6 is a replication of the miracle performed earlier under the leadership of Moses out in the wilderness. And it is no happenstance that Mark writes and says in verse 35 that this place is a secluded, this is a desert place where the crowds are now gathered. This literally means a desolate place. Moses and the children of God were also in a desert place in the wilderness, and the parallels are many between the feeding of the Israelites in their wilderness journey with manna and Jesus now feeding the multitudes with this bread. And this miracle is now a finger pointing to the Lord Jesus as the great deliverer of desert-dwelling people. Jesus has now come to break the bondage of his people as our compassionate Savior. Ultimately, as we noted, Jesus is the bread of life. 
John, the great theologian, does say in verse 33 of John chapter 6, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. This is standing in the backdrop of this miracle as Jesus feeds the 5,000. And I want to do with you this morning is I want you to taste with me and see that the Lord is good. Come to Mark 6 and see and feel and bask in the loving compassion of Christ. Because number one, our compassionate Savior meets our very real needs. Everyone who is gathered here today is no different than the crowd gathered in chapter 6 of Mark's gospel. We have real needs. And all of those very real needs are met by Jesus Christ. And I want us to walk through this miracle beginning in verse 34, and I want you to see how the loving compassion of Christ just absolutely leaps off the pages of Mark's account. Mark is the only one that records what we have in verse 34 at the outset of Mark's account of this miracle. Look what it says. This is how Mark starts the miracle. When Jesus went ashore, verse 35, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion. This is at the front porch when we go into the house of this miracle. This is to express to us the great love of Christ. They were not having to twist his arm to act on the behalf of this crowd. He was not choosing to be distant from them. He was very much there loving them. He had compassion. And I want you to notice first the what, if you can call it that, the what of his compassion. Notice again, verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd. Now let's have a little bit of an understanding of how large this crowd was. You'll recall the last verse of this section. There were 5,000 men who ate loaves. Now that's an extraordinary number. What you need to know is that the word men is masculine. So the only usage here, the only people being counted are the men. And it's only referring to the males as opposed to the females. So just the men were 5,000. Matthew records and says, and those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides men, uh, rather, besides women and children. So there are others as well gathered. Now, if this works out in any normal distribution of men and women and children, there are always more women and children than men at a gathering, especially when it has anything to do with spirituality. At a bare minimum, most commentators would say at a bare minimum, there were probably 15,000 people there. More probably, we're talking about a crowd of about 20,000. Without being in danger of exaggeration, we could actually say this crowd may have been pushing 30,000 people. This is a huge gathering of people. No wonder, Mark says in verse 34, he saw a large crowd. You ain't kidding, he saw a large crowd. (laughs) Thousands upon thousands upon thousands spilling out in front of him, and he felt compassion for them. I don't want to just move past that word. The word compassion is a very intense word. It means that our Lord was touched in the very depths of his being, 
The word for compassion comes from a root which means stomach, intestines, or bowels. What this means is that Jesus saw, he really saw the people. Our Lord was not a stoic Savior. He was not indifferent to the crowd. Jesus saw all the needs of the lives in front of him, and he felt down in the depths of his stomach, his knotted up in the insides, he felt emotion for them. Sometimes you hear people say, well, I, I love that person, but you certainly don't expect me to like them, do you? <laughs> Not with Jesus. Jesus felt compassion. His heart was in this. He felt very deeply. This is our Lord. How unlike the religious leaders of that day, Jesus was. No religious leader ever cared for the difficulties of the men and women in front of them. But Jesus came to earth that he might enter into this world and live with them experientially. That he would care for them. He faced all the heartache and all the difficulty and all the cares of those round about them. And as you go through Mark's gospel, as we've already journeyed, we know that Jesus is not a robotic redeemer, is he? He's not some distant deity. He's not some stoic sovereign. He cares. As the songwriter says, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless free. In its fullness, rolling as a mighty ocean, in its fullness over me, underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love. This is the Savior who feels tender compassion for those. And it says, not only that, it says, and they had eaten Beside them there was, again, those 5,000 men. But how about the why? Why is it that Jesus really cares? Why would Jesus feel this way? Look at verse 34. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw them as they truly were. Jesus looked past and beyond the outward facade. They were like sheep. Sheep are totally, completely, entirely helpless Sheep cannot protect themselves. They cannot provide for themselves. In many cases, they cannot even think for themselves. Sheep are dumb, directionless, and defenseless is what they are. All sheep can do is nibble on the grass if there's any put in front of their faces. And that's how Jesus saw these people. Spiritually speaking, they had been people who had been abandoned by unfaithful leaders the Pharisees, scribes, and Sadducees were simply fleecing the flock and subjecting them to all kinds of legalism. And Jesus walks up to this crowd and he sees them lost. He sees them fleeced and naked. He sees them taken advantage of. And he felt compassion because they'd been abused by the religious system of their day. And there's no abuse like the abuse of a godless religious system, is there? And Jesus saw it, and he felt compassion, and read how he responds. This is the most loving thing Jesus could do, but it flowed out of a most loving heart. Notice how he showed his compassion. At the end of verse 34, we read something that may surprise you. Even as I wrote my sermon notes, I hesitated to explain this because I don't want anyone to think I have wrong motives in explaining what takes place. But Jesus sees their needs, 
and he knows they have a need, and this is how he meets their needs. And you're going to say, he fed them. He taught them. He began to teach them many things. Jesus demonstrated his love for them not by walking up and giving them a gospel hug. Jesus showed his love for them by ministering to them at the true point of their need. He was not there to meet superficial stuff on the outside. Jesus sought to minister to them on a spiritual level. And he began to teach them many things. Our Lord expressed his compassion by ministering to them the truths of the word of God. Teaching was the single most loving thing Jesus could do. I've heard it in the past say that this is about their pastors, and it's actually a great discouragement to me. I've heard people say, well, I can't remember anything my preacher ever once said. All I remember is, and then they fill in the blank about something they did. And they mean well by saying that, I think. Can I say as a pastor, please don't ever say that about me. (laughs) (laughs) If someone says, what do you remember about your pastor? I want you to be able to turn to a passage in the scripture and point to notes in the margin of your Bible and say, I remember he taught me about this. Jesus began to teach them before he fed them physically. This is the far greater feeding that took place. The feeding of Mark 6 is Mark 6, verse 34. Don't miss that. That's the important food. It is the greater feeding than, than the feeding that will occur in the following verses. This is greater than the miracle of feeding all those people with those breads and those fishes. Please note, he taught them many things. This is the Greek word mala. It literally means he taught them at length. That's what it means. Jesus gave himself fully to them and he kept teaching. How long was Jesus' sermon? I don't know, but I kind of think it was longer than three points in a poem and a sermonette for a Christianette. Somehow I think this at length encouraged them spiritually. It built them up. It gave them the truths of the kingdom of God. Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And so what did he do? He fed them the word of God. Our Lord certainly had his priorities right. Some churches claim to be such a loving church, but they never teach the word of God. And all they are is a good old boys club. And they mistake physical acts of love for real love. And what true love does is it speaks the truth in love from the word of God to make strong the soul because we are struggling and starving in a desert without truth. And we need a compassionate Savior who gives us truth. And the good shepherd saw them as sheep without a shepherd, and he begins to teach them many things at great length, and it is because then that he preached for so long that we come to the next verse. Number two, our compassionate Savior is aware of our physical needs. Your real need is the word of God. But he's aware of your physical needs. In verse 35, we move from an emphasis on his compassion to the reality of their present situation. 
And Jesus taught so long that it becomes quite late. In fact, in verse 35, it says, and when it was already late. We know at the time of the year and from other clues in this text, we can try to figure out about approximately how long or what time of year did this take place. Well, this is probably mid-spring. We know from other gospel accounts that he had them sit down on green grass. So you've got to have some kind of mid-spring-ish vibe to it. And since it is probably mid-spring, most commentators would say this is around 6 p.m. So this is getting later in the day, and they're getting pretty hungry. It will actually be dark very soon as well. And that gives some context to what the disciples say. They say, disciples came up to him and said, this place is secluded. It's a desert place, and it is already late. They sense this need, and they understand that people need to eat food. But it does, it does not speak volumes about these people, however. It does. It speaks volumes about them. That of all this crowd, nobody's thinking about their bellies, are they? Or the fact that it's getting late. This request for food is not coming from the people sitting listening to Christ teach. It is the disciples who are sensing that the people are arriving at this point. And it says in verse 35, this is their conclusion. And they say one to another, send them away so that they may go into the countryside and the villages and buy something for themselves to eat. Disciples are not, by the way, being unloving here. They are understanding that it is folks are going to be able to eat and they, they need to conclude this Bible conference right now if they're going to have time in the light of day to get back to go get some food. And now while they are concerned about their needs, there is an obvious oversight as well. They have overlooked the Lord himself. They have seen the Lord meet shortages before in food and drink. Do you remember the first miracle that Jesus ever performed? In John chapter 2, we read that the first miracle he performed was turning the water into wine when there was a shortage. Jesus transformed some filthy, stagnant, dirty water into the best wine that they'd ever had on the planet. The disciples had seen this. They saw the greatness of God put on display through the creative power of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's how his whole ministry began. In between, they'd seen all kinds of other miracles that we read about even in Mark's gospel. They had seen Jesus calm storms. They had seen Jesus heal paralyzed people and lepers. They had seen him raise someone from the dead not too long ago. And yet, the disciples looked in every direction in this hour of physical need, except to the one who could meet their physical need. In fact, the one who was consistently meeting physical needs every step of the way. In that regard, the disciples are so much like children at this point. To come up to the Lord and say, we just need to send them away so they can get something to eat, while he is expounding the truth of the word of God. This is not like Lazarus has died kind of crisis moments either. It's not like you need to end everything. It's just we're a little bit hungry. And all this is, was a missed meal, and the disciples should have understand this. Jesus was not somehow naive to hungry bellies. It's not like he did not know. And here's a point I want you to be aware of. You might come into this room and you are hurting physically. 
I don't want you to be tempted to believe that somehow Christ is not fully aware of the physical needs of his children. If the God who can count the numbers of hairs on your head is aware of that number count, surely he's aware of when you lost one or two. God knows your physical needs. Number three, our compassionate Savior then is completely in control. The Lord now gives them three commands. And these three commands are to be carried out. And the first command emphasizes our utter inadequacy. In verse 37, it's almost really ironic what he says. They say to him, we got to send him away to get some food. And he says back to them, you give them something to eat. Now the word you is actually in the emphatic position. Whenever you want to emphasize something, you either put it at the beginning or end of the sentence. And the most emphatic is to put it at the beginning of the sentence. And so he puts the you at the beginning of his sentence. And what is being understood in this you is you give them something to eat. In other words, this is in the imperative. It's a command. This is an order. You could write it this way. I order you to give them something to eat. Now this command is very calculated by our Lord. It's intended to underscore in their mind their total inability to meet the needs in the ministry in and of themselves. They bring nothing to the table. After all, John would say in John 15, verse 5, apart from you, I can do nothing. That is the place to which Jesus intended to bring them by this statement. And they don't have anything to give, and they know it. Verse 37, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give that to eat? They couldn't go and do that, is what they're saying. One denarii was the equivalent to one day of work for a common worker. Just one denarii. 200 denarii is a lot of working to come up with that kind of money. And the disciples were doing a quick estimate. How can I possibly feed that size crowd? I feel like in some regards, our kitchen staff feels that way first Wednesday of every month when we come in there and they cook out of the smallest of small kitchens and they feed over a hundred of us, that's almost like turning bread in five loaves and two fishes into feeding a 5,000. But the disciples were doing a quick estimate. How is it that I could feed these people? And the answer is, you can't. Our world gets this so upside down. They emphasize, you be you. You you just need to have a better self-esteem for yourself. And then you'll be able to accomplish so much more. Scripture tells us, through explicit command and implicit principle and practical question, you can't do anything without God on your side. Number two, the second command emphasizes our limited resources. Jesus begins to pry. He says to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and look. He commands them now to go and, and find out what they did have and come and report back to him. And the purpose, again, was to emphasize that they had very, very little. They certainly did not have enough to feed this group. And they found, they said, five and two fish. They did a complete inventory, and it was apparent 
that they had a minuscule amount to contribute meeting these needs. Before we go any further, there's a mistaken application that can become here. So often, I've heard this text, and the point of the preaching from this text is all about the lad's lunch. That's not the point. That is not the point that's being conveyed in this account or any other account of this miracle. The point is, the disciples needed to learn a lesson. They are the ones going to look and see and discovering they don't have resources. Listen, you and I continually find ourselves in situations like this as we serve the Lord. So often we look into our budget or into our pocketbooks and try to determine what kind of ministry we can do or how we may be able to do this according to God's work. And in so doing, we fail to look to the Lord. And the second command is emphasizing our limited resources. And the third command then is going to emphasize our Lord's abundant supply. Verse 39, he ordered them to recline. He ordered them to recline in, by groups on the green grass. And they reclined in the groups of hundreds and fifties. This is an orderly fashion, and it's really a preview to get them become organized so that they can quickly be fed. And verse 41, and when they had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to the heaven, he blessed them, he broke the loaves and gave it to disciples and set before them, and the two fishes divided he amongst them all. Notice the text says, and blessed in the King James. Some translators add the food, that he blessed the food there. The food is not in the original, and it's not helpful. Just as an aside, when you pray today, we don't bless food Did you know that? We bless God who gave us this food. It doesn't make sense to bless food. (laughs) Food is food. Just eat it. We bless God who gave us the food. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We bless God. That's what Christ does. And now here's the miracle. You ever wondered where the miracle took place, by the way? Did the miracle take place during the carrying of the loaves to the people? Did the miracle take place when they put the food in front of the people and then it just kind of just went out like that? Did it take place when he would break it? The The text indicates that the miracle took place while the loaves were in the hands of the Lord. Verse 41, And gave them to his disciples and set them before him, and the two fishes he divided amongst the people. By the creative power of God, there was the creation of new bread and new fish from the hands of Christ. This was such that they were taking and taking and taking. They were filling and filling and filling, and he kept creating and he kept creating and he kept creating. So the verb tense denotes, actually in this verse, a continuous action. They kept taking food and he kept making food, is what it's saying. They received far more in return than they ever gave to him. Have you ever heard it said, when you serve God, you get more out of the service than you put in? That's exactly what's going in here. Do you know who got the most food that day? The servants of God got the most food that day. Just go through the process, friend, of of pouring your heart and soul into the ministry of Christ And you know who gets the most blessing? The servant. The servant. The more you serve, the more comes back. 
how antithetical to our culture, which says, just give to me, just give to me. And then, if I can build my empire, I'll rise to the heights of men. And Christ says, no, you serve me, you die to self, and the last shall be made first. What we do learn, and that's what we need to conclude, is our Lord loves people. Let me conclude quickly. Number one, the Lord is filled with loving compassion toward us. Don't think that when you pray, you are having to try to convince God to do something in your life that he doesn't want to do. We are to keep asking and knocking and seeking, but we need to know that on the other side of the door is not a distant deity, but a loving, compassionate Savior who desires to meet our needs that he might be glorified through us. We need to be reminded that it is the loving, compassionate Savior who feels down in the depths of his soul for you. You can confidently go before the throne of grace to a Savior who is ready and willing to come to you. Number two, we are always in limited supply and have inadequate resources. What we see in this text is the reality of what is like every day of our lives as it relates to spiritual ministry. Some of the greatest curse that can happen in our lives is for us to have financial things or material things that we don't realize that spiritually speaking, all we have is five loaves and two fishes. We stand in the sandals of these disciples and the Lord is telling our church, go feed them. And you and I have to look around, if you're faithful to this ministry, and you say, how? And i got to say, over the last few months, I've had to ask that question. How in the world can we grow any more than we already are? This church has never been bigger than it is right now. And there might be a reason. I might say, well, maybe, maybe it's just, what, what are we going to do? Friend, we serve a God who can do the impossible. We just need to take whatever broken buildings we have and, and faulty furnaces, <laughs> turn them over to a God who can do amazing things, not through us, and that's the point. We are limited. God is unlimited. And what we have, we must put into the hands of Christ. What little we have was we put in the master's hands. After all, little becomes much when God is in it. Some people say, well, I don't really have a lot of time to serve the Lord. Well, why not use the little time you have? Someone might say, I don't have a lot of giftedness. Why not use the giftedness you have and see if God can't multiply it? He can do more through little that he has put in his, that he can put in his hands than with a truckload of stuff that we don't put in his hands. And Jesus himself is the bread of life. Jesus is the Savior. He alone can satisfy. He alone can give you eternal life. He alone can sustain and strengthen and save. So the message primarily from this text is come and eat of him. You must receive him by faith into your life that you may never hunger again. We are all struggling. We are all starving in a desert of hurt. 
And when you feed off the crumbs of this world, they will never be enough to sustain you. They will never strengthen you. They will never satisfy you. But you eat of this living bread of Jesus Christ, you pour your heart into him and allow your soul to be nourished like it's never been before. You seek the Lord while he still may be found. You call upon him while he is near. And friend, he will change your life. Because he's a compassionate Savior who wants you to know it's not your story. It's his story. Let him write his story on your heart today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much, Lord, for your work. Lord, it's been a joy to gather together in God's house today. Reflect afresh on what you've been doing through our ministry. But Lord, we know we don't have a lot. We don't have the flashy buildings or the fancy lights or the big stage. What we do have, Lord, is your word. Lord, may we feed off your word. May we break it open week after week and keep breaking it open and keep feeding off of it. Lord, there may be some in this room who have never come to Christ. Lord, may they come to the compassionate Savior who saw them as sheep without a shepherd and gave them truths that they might be shepherded to it. May today, even today, be the day of their salvation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, the instruments are going to begin to play. Number 90, he giveth more grace. Would you respond as the Lord has spoken to you?